Alrighty, it's a joy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be in the Lord's house and be here this morning. And what an honor to be able to stand in this pulpit, pulpit of our friend, Brother Kevin. Uh, we get him to preach for us pretty regular at Cornerstone, and he's been a help to me through the years. And uh, I, I count it an honor, Brother Kevin. Thank you for affording me this opportunity. If you'll take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 6, please. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 6, I've been going through Hebrews with my people on Sunday mornings for quite some time, and, and this passage has stuck with me, and I think it's what the Lord would have us to do uh, this morning. I want you to find verse number 9, if you will, and we'll read through the remaining of the chapter. Don't let that worry you. We'll just focus on a few verses out of this passage. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9 it says, but beloved, we're persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you've showed toward his name, that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us, entered even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, Thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have this morning. God, we just want you to get glory to yourself this morning. I'm but a man, but God, I need your help. I'm a feeble, frail man. I'm nothing without you. Would you help us this morning? Help us turn our eyes upon Christ, our only hope. God, we need you. I need you. Get real big with us this morning, and God, we'll praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. It's amazing to me when you talk Hebrews 6, the probably the most uh, focus gets verses 4, 5, and 6. And to a lot of people, they use verses 4, 5, and 6 as a means that a believer could lose their salvation. But immediately following that third warning that the author of Hebrews has given, it goes into the greatest assurance of the eternal security of the believer that I've ever found in my Bible. 
My dear friend, there is not a possibility for a believer to fall out of grace, to be lost. When you get in, you're in eternally. You've got to remember that the book of Hebrews was written to a mixed multitude. The book of Hebrews was written to a Hebrew people. There were real believers and there were false believers. There were those who were merely professing Christ. And if you study the whole context of the book of Hebrews, there's five warning passages, and it is for those Hebrews that have identified with Christ, that had professed faith in Christ, but they were already falling away. They were wanting to go back to Judaism like their forefathers did in the wilderness wanderings. And boy, he comes after this third warning, and come to verse 9 that I mentioned to you. He says, but contrasting this warning and now he's trying to bring some comfort to the people of God's hearts and he says but beloved now he he didn't say beloved in this warning back in verses 11 in chapter 5 down through chapter 6 you come to 9 he changes the scene he says brethren but beloved he's speaking of brethren now he's saying oh yes child of God this is for you I'm persuaded of better things for you there's a lot of people that started out right. They're falling off by the wayside. But oh, dear friend, I'm take thankful this afternoon, uh, this morning, that we have a God in heaven who's in control. He's on His throne. I'm thankful salvation is of the Lord. And when He saves a soul, friend, you'll only go as far as He'll let you go. I'm glad we're anchored to the blessed rock of ages. I'm thankful that He saves and He satisfies and He secures. And our salvation is not based on us, but it's based on Him. So he says, I'm persuaded of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation. And it seems to me that one of the greatest evidences that you have been saved is he keeps using this word hope. 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 You know something? As I've been in this thing uh, quite a while now, I'm finding everybody in the world is looking for hope. There are people in our congregations that are looking for hope today. And I'm convinced of one thing. There are some good things God does. I'm convinced that we're trying to settle for the lesser instead of the best. There's two things that come to my mind is, number one, revival, and the other two, rapture. But let me ask you a question. Will you still have hope if God gives neither in your lifetime? God doesn't give that in your lifetime where you still have hope. Because can I tell you, by the end of the day, whether I die today, whether I die next week, years down the road, whatever my lot comes in life, God's in charge of that. And one thing I can tell you this morning, friend, is whether I see revival or I'm alive when Jesus comes again, I'll still have Christ. My hope is in Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, and Christ alone. Anything else, you're going to sell yourself short. We need to get to the place Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, our God is able to deliver us, but if not. If not, we're still not going to bow. We're going to keep serving. We're going to trust you. So just a few moments this morning, I want to emphasize in verses 13 through 20, Christ, our only hope. Christ, our only hope. And He does it in three ways. Three things I want to share with you. In verses 13 through 18, you'll find the covenant God gives His people. You'll find God gives a covenant. He does a lot of that dealing with Abraham. We'll say more about that in just a minute. 
And I want to say something about the comfort God gives His people in the second part of verse 18 and 19. He speaks of two things, two word pictures we need to get hold of, refuge and anchor. Then you get to verse 20 in the confidence God gives His people. He speaks about Christ being our forerunner and our priest. So let's, let's get interested in this covenant God gives His people. Look in verse 13, if you will. For when God made promise to Abraham, when he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men barely swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them to end all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to, watch this, to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. I scratched my head there. God's word's enough, folks. We, we stand on sola scriptura, scripture alone, and tota scriptura, all of scripture. That is our basis for everything we do. Our faith and practice is rooted in the word of God, but God gave the word to Abraham, and the word that he gave was good enough, but he said, I'm going to go ahead and put an oath on it to reassure you, I am going to do what I said I'm going to do. God is God, and God is not going to go contrary to His Word. God will perform what He says He will do. And then you get to verse 18. He says that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie, folks. And so what He's telling us is that we can take what He has in this book to, to heart, he will perform it. He will do it because he cannot lie. So let's talk about this covenant. This, this idea of a covenant. It means a will and testament. A covenant is agreement made between two parties. It's a special relationship set up and established by two or more persons. The point is that once a covenant has been executed and established, it can't be annulled and it can't be undone. When God spoke His Word, He settled it, friend. You can't undo it. You can't annul it. You can't deny it, and God can't deny Himself. Hallelujah to the Lamb for that. So this covenant, there's two things I want to say about this covenant that He made with Abraham. It's certain because of God's person. If you, you pick up on what He said in verse 13, Notice what he says. For when God made a promise to Abraham, he could swear by no greater. He swear by himself. So God said, this is what I've got for you, Abraham, and not for you only, but to, you're going to be a father of many nations, not just the Hebrew people, by the way. We can say some more about that in just a minute. But God has made this great promise to Abraham and He said, this will come to pass. And He says when He gave it, He could not swear by no greater. He swore by Himself. You remember as a kid, we used to come up with these sayings and I know it's not, we're not supposed to swear. Jesus said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. But when we really meant business, we'd start swearing on things that were important to us, didn't we? We say, I remember as a kid, we'd say, well, I crossed my heart and hoped to die. Stick a needle in my eye. We'd say foolish things like that. But my dear friend, when Jesus made this word, he says, hey, boy, I'm going to put an oath on it. My word's enough for you to take it and believe it, but I'm sealing this thing with an oath so you know it will come to pass. 
Then in verse 16, notice what it says about the character of God. He says, for men barely swear by the greater an oath for confirmation. And it's to put an end to all strife. So you see what God did? He put an oath on it for the confirmation, for assurance of Abraham to put an end to the strife. There's no doubt about it. God is God and God is going to do what He says He's going to do. That's what that means. And then you get on down in verse 17, it talks about His immutability. That simply means His unchangeableness. I'm glad God doesn't change with the winds. I'm glad God doesn't have to see which direction the wind's going and says, I believe I'll go that way. I'm glad when things are changing, our world's constantly changing. It's being turned upside down, inside out. God's still God. He's on the throne, friend. He's alive and well at the right hand of the Father this morning, interceding for us. And all God's children are to take comfort in knowing our God reigns. He's immutable. And then it says in verse 18, he cannot lie. You see the character of God. God has put himself out there. And he says, by the way, if I don't do what I said I'll do by his immutability and that he cannot lie, he says, if I don't do this, I disqualify myself from being God. And God can't never stop being God. God can never act outside of His Word. He can't never act outside of His nature. So that ought to help us this morning knowing that this covenant is based on the person of God, but number two, it's based on God's promise. Now we got to go and look at Abraham just for a minute. And I won't know, I'm just going to hit the high notes because I want to get to the goody-goody stuff part right here. Well, I don't know about you, but I sure like it when the Word of God gets real with us. And we, we got to understand this so we can, it makes it better as we go. So in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, God called Abraham. It was the very first dealings with it. As a matter of fact, somebody has rightly said the first 11 verses, God's dealing with the human race. And then the chapters 12 through 50 is God dealing with the Hebrew race. But if you really break that down as you get in the New Testament, you'll find out it's not just the Hebrew race, but it's God's people. God's called out people. Amen. Listen, you know what church means? Ecclesia, a called out assembly. Everybody that's saved and a member of the church, you've been called out by God. He called you out from where you were and He says, listen, I've got a country that I'm going to show you who's builder and maker's God. Abraham, you follow me. One day the Holy Ghost found you where you were. He called you out of your sin, called you to Himself, and He says, follow me. And he's taking us somewhere a lot better than where we are right now. And so this is what he's getting at. So we consider Abraham being called. He says, get out of thy father's house and out of thy country. I'm going to take you to land that I'm going to show you. But you know, Abraham wasn't justified in chapter 12. Abraham was justified in Genesis 15, three chapters later. (laughs) Don't get scared. What was the point? What happened in Genesis 15? God gave Abraham the promise of the seed. The promise of that promised son being born. What is that a picture of? You need faith in Christ. There's a bunch of people believe in God that don't believe in Jesus. That was the Jews' problem, friend. They believed in God the Father and God the Holy Ghost. They just didn't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Can I tell you something, friend? The devils believe in God and tremble. 
But they're not going to heaven. We live in a generation of people who say, well, I believe in God, I'm okay. If you do not have Christ, you are not going to heaven. Period. Paragraph. Whatever you want to say, friend, Christ is exclusively uh, the only way to heaven. Not a religion, not a denomination, but Christ and Christ alone. And so we need to understand that God justified, and by the way, it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. In Genesis 15, 6, it's the same verse that's quoted in Romans 4, 3. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. We justified by faith alone without the deeds of the law, folks. The promise is hinged on God fulfilling His Word. Same way today, we have hope because Christ is keeping His Word. Can I might as well tell you men, hey, listen, God's building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It may be looking dark. It may be dreary at your place. God's still God. He's on the throne. He's building His church. He's raising up men to herald the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He's still saving sinners. He's still helping the broken. He's still doing the things that only God can do. So take cheer, child of God. It may be dry now, but it may not be tomorrow. That's all in God's hands. You just keep trusting God, walking with God, because God will keep His Word. Confirmed it. And you get to Genesis 22 and we see about Abraham, this covenant that he made. He says, now, all right, Abraham, I want you to offer up your promised son to me. What? Yes, Lord. Takes him. And I find that very interesting, Brother Kevin, as I reread that over and again in my, my life. Walking up, and he said, We got the knife, we got the wood, we got the fire. Where's the lamb? Abraham said, The Lord will provide himself a lamb. That's where Je- Jehovah Jireh comes in. Just need to. Deal some. Jehovah Jireh ain't God giving you a house or a car. It's giving you a lamb to save you from your sin, son. Man's greatest need is to be saved from the wrath and condemnation of God we're under. What we need more than a house. What we need more than a fat bank account. What we need more than health, we need the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our life to appease the wrath of God that's out after us. And we ought to say, who am I that you would look upon such a dead dog as me? Who am I? Who? What is man that you're mindful of me? Oh, he would have been just to walk by, but oh, thanks to God, he walked by and called your name, saved you by grace just like he did Abraham. He says... Lord provided that lamb, ram. I'm mindful of what he told his men before he went up the mountain. <laughs> he said, y'all stay here with the donkeys, me. The lad's going to go yonder and worship and come again. Now the book of Hebrews gives some light to this in chapter number 11. Abraham meant to kill that boy. But Hebrews 11 said that Abraham had enough faith if God was going to kill him, God was going to have to keep his word because this was the seed. This was the bloodline of the Savior. And if he killed him, he'd have to raise him from the dead. What faith? What faith Abraham had, but Abraham taking God at his word. 
I don't know why it's so hard for us to get this. We must come as a little child and just trust the Lord. Oh, would God help us today. I think about a New Testament verse. How does this all apply to us? Well, Galatians 3.29 clarifies it all for us. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29, If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Oh, we can take hope in this, friend. Hey, listen, where did God find Abraham? Down at the Ur of the Chaldeans. He was a heathen pagan. He wasn't no Jew. God saved him. God, <laughs> Hey, listen, God done a work in Abraham's life as he's done with every saved sinner that he's ever saved. What's it amazing to me is when I study the New Testament, you want to know how to be saved? Look at Abraham and look at David, what Paul keeps telling us. The God on the left-hand side of the Bible is the same God on the right-hand side of the Bible. There's continuity all between. So that's the covenant God gives His people. By the way, this covenant comes on the backdrop of these folks falling out, falling away. And by the way, let me just say this. If you think you can lose salvation, it tells us there in verse number 6 that it would be impossible to renew them again to repentance. So if you lose it, you can never get it back. You can't go get saved all over again. You either got it or you don't. Fact is, there's a lot of folks unsure about it. God's settling this thing this morning. If your faith is in Christ, you are safe and secure. I want to talk about the comfort God gives His people now. Look in verse 18. And I'm hastening. Look in verse 18 that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, or that word consolation means encouragement, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. So the very first picture that he gives us of this comfort is we have a place of refuge. Now our Bible tells us God is our refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. It's almost as if this he's trying to connect the Old Testament with the New and he calls it a refuge and immediately our minds go to those cities of refuge that one could flee to if they had accidentally in an altercation had took the life of another individual. That individual who by the law of God could flee to a city of refuge and they could abide in that city and the avenger of that family member couldn't take their life as long as they were in that city of refuge. Oh, my dear friend, what is he teaching us? Once you've come to Christ, you've got Christ. Oh, and we are taking refuge. Just a few weeks ago when the bad weather was coming, they sounded the tornado alarms and they ushered us to the storm shelter there in Caterpillar where I work at. And they took us in there and you know what? We were taking refuge. Oh, my dear friend, listen, there's somebody we can run to. God hadn't left us to ourselves. Hey, when the troubles come and the adversary, the devil's walking about like a roaring lion and he seems like he may have your address, things are going bad. Listen, take refuge in Christ. Everybody's worried about what's going on in the world. I don't have to. My Father's in control. I'm trusting in Christ. I'm taking my refuge in Christ. Whether I die, whether by rapture, whether I go in the air or go by grave he's still God and I'm still going to the same place so 
take refuge. Our hope is in Christ. Christ will shelter us. Christ will help us in our hour of need. Listen, God hasn't abandoned us. He said He's never leave us nor forsaken us. The whole point is that these Hebrews need to come abandon themselves at the foot of the cross. You need to turn to Christ. You know what America needs? You know what we all need? We just need to run to Christ. You know what the theme of Hebrews is? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Oh yes, we need a better covenant. We need a better law. (laughs) We need a better prophet. We need a better priest. And it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Better Christ. I want to talk about this anchor just for a minute. Give the next man some time. Look in verse 19. Which hope we have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth in within the veil. Now you all know what we have as an anchor, what an anchor does. You throw it over the boat, it goes down the bottom, it lodges in the rocks, and it holds you in place. <laughs> but it's not a stationary hold, is it? You do got a little play way. says we got an anchor of the soul that's both sure and steadfast. And let me just tell you in my dealings with it, I don't know about you, but I have not checked a knot in my rope when I've thrown my anchor out and went to pull up and the anchor come loose. And I'm in a mess now. I don't have nothing to hold me. See, a lot of times when we hear the gospel preached, that's just how it is. We're going to throw you this rope and maybe you'll hold on enough. Nah, no, 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 no. Bible tells us Christ has secured both ends. See, God loves us too much to leave us like He found us. And He loves us too much to leave us to ourselves. (laughs) So this anchor of the soul is in the heavens, it tells us, is secured to Christ and Christ has secured us to Himself. So it's an immovable object. And the Bible tells us that we're like all state. We're in good hands. Uh, Hey, no man can pluck us out of the Father's hands. That's how secure we are. And this anchor, we're, we're anchored to Christ. So whatever comes in my life, it doesn't matter because guess what? I still have Christ. I'm anchored. I'm secured. And I got to thinking about that. You know, we all ain't what we need to be, including myself. But I'm thankful that that initial work God started, Brother Kevin, He's still doing today. When I tend to drift like a vessel with an anchor, I can only drift so far till the anchor tightens and pulls me back. Oh, child of God, you know as well as I do, there's been days in your life, times in your life, you begin to drift, and about that time you felt that tug. Holy Spirit comes, spoke to your heart, shook you a little bit. Oh, and He drew you back to Himself. Aren't you glad we got a good Savior like that that would come to where we are, even when we have decided maybe, you know, we're going to let up a little bit, we're going to do our own thing, and... God won't let us. See, this difference between saved folks and lost folks, lost folks don't have that. Or if you got that, you ought to thank God above. Because it's only His mercy. 
It's only His grace. And He didn't let us go. Oh, but what a Savior He is. We, you understand, we've got an anchor. Let me say this not only about our salvation, but what about just everyday life? No doubt about it, friend, we're living in some tough times. Storms of life, they may batter you. The adverse winds may beat you. The waves of adversity may come crashing into your life. But can I tell you, you're anchored to Christ and that anchor will hold. He will not let you go under. He will not let you go down because we have the promise of His Word. He's building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me say this, and and I'll be done. I want to talk about the confidence God gives His people down in verse 20. It says, Whether the forerunner is for us entered. So one that's gone, somebody, a forerunner, is one who's gone on before us. He's prepared the way. He's paid the price and made it possible for us to come. And it says even Jesus. So Jesus has performed the necessary work for us to enter into a relationship with Him. He's done the work necessary for us to have hope. He's done it all. Let me just say this. Is this what Jesus said in John 14? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's gone. He's preparing the way. And this this begins to open up for us when it gets to talking about His priest in the second part of this verse, that He's a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is new to the Hebrews. A priest could only be a priest from the age of 25 to 50. That's it. But here is a priest forever. He continually. Let me just say this. In my lifetime I've heard, and rightly so, and and don't say I'm knocking it because I'm not. I love it. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that believe it is the power of God, okay? Now I'm free we're only telling our folks half the story. We've heard the crucifixion, crucifixion and wonderful. Without it, none of us could be saved. But there's another side to that coin. There's another side to that coin, dear friend. Jesus didn't stay on that cross, and He didn't stay in the tomb. He was raised. Why why was Jesus raised from the dead? To fulfill His office as a priest. Hebrews 7, 25 says he's able to save unto the uttermost for he ever liveth to make intercession for them that come unto him. You understand something this morning? Christ has died, he's buried, but now he's at the right hand of the Father. What did he do when he raised from the dead? According to the Old Testament in Hebrews 10, 1, it's all the Old Testament is a shadow of the substance of things to come that Christ is going to fulfill. What did the high priest have to do? He had to take the mercy seat within the veil where our anchors anchor to, and he had to propitiate his blood for our sins. But not only that, it says he's praying. 
So here's the deal. I've got to ask two questions. Will Jesus' sacrifice on the cross be in vain? Oh, no. Will Christ's prayers be unheard? Do you not see the hope? Do you not see the assurance that we have that Christ not only died for me, He paid my debt, He redeemed me, but now He's at the right hand of the Father praying for us. Because here's the deal, folks. We're sinners. We can't get to God. We need a mediator. We need an advocate. We need a daysman that Job talked about. Aren't you glad? Jesus took the hand of God, took the hand of sinful man, brought it together. Philippians 1.6 said, He that begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I'm glad my salvation and your salvation ain't based on our performance based on performance of Christ and His ministry at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21 gives us great insight to this and I'll take my place. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. I want you to see this. This is imperative. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Right? There, there's the cross. But here's the priest's work, verse 21. Hmm. Make you perfect, complete, in every good work to do His will. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. And ever. Amen. Let the church say amen. Aren't you glad we've got hope in Christ? Brother Kevin, I'm done.